Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. Thus saith the Lord to you, to me, you are cursed with a curse and another curse and lots of curses. You and I barely made it alive into the world due to a curse of troubled childbirth, curse of death. Your mother went through considerable anguish, fear, and pain, bringing you forth. Many do not survive gestation. Some die young. All others will die in a few years anyway. Assume creator or evolution. Doesn't matter for this argument. Spontaneous life easily proves perpetual life. But no, there is no perpetual life. Because there's a curse of death in the universe. You will die, no matter your assumption of origins, and you are dying this minute. Because you are cursed. The world around you is cursed by a law of entropy. All things are moving from a state of order to disorder. And the death of all living things, rational, irrational, and inanimate things, are all moving to disorder, decay, and death. You have never found, invented, or seen anything above the curse of destruction. Nothing, from relationships to precious metals, will remain the same to be trusted. The best plans you make will encounter numerous difficulties and overruns to reduce utility. You have a nature that cannot do what you value highest, but defaults to what you hate. You are cursed. The more you learn consistent morality, especially from the Bible, the less you comply. You make emotional and intense commitments and promises, but you violate them. You're cursed. Your nature includes self-awareness, yet guilt and fear that judgment will find you. A funeral has a dead person very different from its living form. A curse screams out. A joyful, vivacious cheerleader turns into a shrunken, shriveled, wrinkled corpse. The plans, excitement, efforts, and anticipation of the person entirely disappear. Every accomplishment and acquired asset is stripped away to leave him destitute. You have been cursed to die. Understand your cancer, heart failure, or your health, because it doesn't matter. The curse is equal upon all of us. Reasoning without Scripture is pitiful and weak. In comparison, so consider its curses. Spiritual death to God and righteousness is clearly revealed in the first pages of the Bible. 
in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Physical death comes much sooner than Adam's, who lived to be 930 years old. And you cannot avoid it, for it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Eternal death, the second death, the lake of fire death, hell fire death, is coming when an awful curse will be formally stated. Depart, ye cursed! Depart, ye cursed! Verse 41 in front of you. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. If we look at this third section of Matthew 25, and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ at His second coming, when He sits on His throne of glory, which is a throne of judgment, God considers His judgment glorious. We can see a great contrast. In verse 34, the king shall say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed. Ye blessed. Come. Come. Not depart. Come. 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 Ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But there's verse 41. Depart from me, ye cursed. So we have blessing and cursing. A kingdom to inherit, prepared from the foundation of the world, everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. However much you think that God hates the devil and his angels, he has thus prepared hell, which will receive you. If you're in verse 41. In verse 46, there's a great contrast. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Those that are these here are the ones of verse 41. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. That's a contrast. Verse 34 is a blessing. Verse 41 is a curse. Verse 46 is a contrast. God's revelation, perfectly consistent with all observable things, Screams curse. Every good thing you now experience is further condemnation by display of His goodness that doesn't move you to repent, but to rebel. The world distracts with noise and diversion 
but their dysfunction proves a curse upon them. What is a curse in general? A curse in general is using God's name or authority to judge a person or thing. There'll be much more material than I'm able to cover in the minutes I'm going to take. So don't worry about what I don't say. Think about what I do say. What else can a curse be? It can be disrespectful or imprecatory declaration of disgust. Satan tried to get Job to curse God. That would be to deny and defy him. So did his wife. It can be a church censure or exclusion. Let them be accursed. It can be Phinehas' wife cursing Israel by naming her son Ichabod. The glory has departed from Israel. Common usage, we use it too lately. We use it lately sometimes to speak of a melancholy curse or a woman's other M curse. It's used indirectly at times to speak of filthy language used foolishly and wildly. He's cursing. It's used correctly at times for men using God's name in vain to damn ignorantly. What do we mean by the word curse today? God's promise to severely punish the objects of His wrath. The curse and curses of the Bible are God's promises to severely punish the objects of His wrath. God is angry with the wicked every day. He has cursed them and He will fulfill the curse upon them when He says, Depart from me, ye cursed. They've been cursed. There will be the formal realization of it when they are sent down, down, and down into hellfire. The source of the declaration of the promise is the purpose or will of Almighty God. You cannot overthrow it. There's nothing in the universe to overthrow His curse. His curse can be punishment that is temporary or permanent. It can be punishment that is natural, spiritual, or eternal. The judgment is certain. The punishment is certain. Because God only operates by truth. He does not change like men. The Bible tells us so. The judgment is certain because there is no limit to His duration. He reigns forever to His power, His ability to do whatever He chooses to do, or His wrath, the anger against sin and sinners. His wrath is not temporary emotion like in men, but certain and sure by His perfectly consistent character. There's absolutely no escape from His curses. Be sure your sin will find you out, is one of those promises. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. Solomon taught in the book of Proverbs. Bible verses do not need the word curse to involve a curse any more than they need the blessing, the word blessing, to involve a blessing. When God does something good, kind, and favorable toward us, it's a blessing, whether the word blessing is there or not. When God promises and executes something evil, terrible, and painful upon men, whether the word curse is there or not, it's a curse. 
We could focus on words like calamity, condemnation, damnation, destruction, guilt, hatred, judgment, ruin, torment. But for right now, one word. Curse. You're cursed. Grasp a few examples of general curses. God cursed the ground for Cain's sake. There was a special curse upon the ground to hinder Cain in his profession for bringing his junk to the altar of Jehovah. God cursed the Canaanites, descendants of Ham and Canaan, for a sin by Ham. God promised that Abraham and his sons would be his blessing or his curse among nations. Blessed are those that bless you, and cursed will be those that curse you. A jealous husband could put his wife under a curse for infidelity. And there are 20 graphic verses in Numbers chapter 5 that describe the test for jealousy that a husband could put his wife under with the priest of God. And that curse would be read, pronounced. She would have to say amen to it. She would have to drink the potion. And if she was guilty, she would rot in her belly and thigh and don't think of the muscle between your hip and your knee. Think of a euphemism of the Bible. God ordered that all abominations of the pagan nations of Canaan should not be touched because those things that were involved in their worship were called accursed things. Because God had cursed all that stinking mess. We take a strong stand on playing around with junk like that from Roman Catholic holidays because the Bible tells us to. We're not supposed to touch the unclean thing. But that word unclean, when you look it up through the rest of the Bible, is an accursed thing. God cursed any stuff in Jericho. And the man that stole some, took some of it and hid it in his tent, he, his wife, his children, his little doggies, and everything that he owned were stoned and burned for touching the accursed thing. When God curses something, it is a very serious matter. God by Joshua cursed any attempt to rebuild Jericho that God knocked down. But you can read in 1 Kings chapter 16 where a man tried to rebuild Jericho and the Bible likes to tell us that he lost his firstborn son when he started the construction project and by the time he got done, he had lost his entire family. Elisha cursed 42 children in Jehovah's name for disrespect and two she-bears tore them. Jesus did this. Look at Mark chapter 11. When the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, Depart from me, ye cursed, it will happen. And it will happen severely. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to love Him with me. There's better news coming and you know there is. But we've got to start right. There's a day coming when He will say those words. Depart from me, ye cursed. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow, 
When they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. The Lord Jesus Christ was hungry. Verse 13, And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedst is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Look at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. God cursed Satan. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, I hope that when you read that verse, when God cursed the serpent, that it's going to go on its belly and it's going to eat dust for all of its existence. That it's not just talking about that slimy, slimy, rope-like, fork-tongued, evil, beady-eyed creature that God made. Through those words are the mystical, spiritual, metaphorical condemnation and curse of the devil himself. Because the snake didn't do anything wrong in comparison to the devil behind it. God cursed Satan. He is reserved by God's curse to eternal torment. He knows it, and he'll experience it all. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God cursed man. The promise of death for eating the fruit contained a curse for sin. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God promised this event up with clear curses for all involved. The devil, Adam, and Eve. Eve's childbearing and conception would be cursed. Adam's efforts to get a living out of the ground would be cursed. Thank God for Noah and his sacrifice when he got off the ark. God saw it and God reduced the curse on the earth. That is why we could feed the world if they would unleash American farmers. See here a hint that a sacrifice offered that is well-pleasing to God reduces God's curse in a figure. God hates sin and sinners. The Bible says so. The Bible says in Psalm 5.5 that God hates all workers of iniquity. Psalm 11.5 says the same thing. The whole creation is cursed. My wife brought in some beautiful flowers yesterday from her flower garden. She was ready to explode with joy. She loves her flowers because they show the glory of God to her. Mud and sunshine create a variety of beauty and delicate leaves of all sorts that are beyond imagination. And we talked about the fact that there's a curse upon that flower. The reason we get to see its beauty for a moment is the goodness of God. When we see it die, it's the curse that's upon it. And everything is rushing toward disorder, decay, and death. The whole creation groans in travail and pain, according to Romans 8, 17 through 25. 
God cursed Israel. I'll share with you the book of Malachi. Would you look at it with me and see God's curses? There's only 300 or so mentions of a curse in the Bible. I'm just giving you a few. I don't want to be that fig tree. I don't want him to see me here this morning and notice the leaves. I want him to find fruit. And I want the same for each of you. And I say that on the authority of Luke 13, 6 through 9, which says that a church has an owner, that's Jesus Christ. It has a vine dresser of the vineyard. And there's a fig tree in this vineyard. And the owner asks the vine dresser, why do you have this ugly fig tree in my vineyard? And the vine dresser said, give me another year to dig around it and dung it. And then if it doesn't bear fruit, you may come and cut it down. Let's all remember that little parable. It's only four verses long. It's Luke 13, 6 through 9. And it's terrible for those that don't bear fruit. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, But cursed be the deceiver. Cursed be the deceiver. That's anyone that comes into this church and says they love God and you do not give Him your best. I have preached the verse many times before. It's obvious. Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. God is terrible in his judgments. And so when we worship him, we need to give him our best, or we are cursed. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 2. Now he's speaking to the priests of Israel after their recovery from Babylon and their backsliding from the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. Verse 2, if ye will not hear, priests, and if ye will not lay it to heart, priests, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Notice the seriousness of God's relationship to His own people, the church of the Old Testament. Chapter 3, verse 9. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, saith even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a... Blessing. There's that contrast of the B word and the contrast of the C word. Just like we had in chapter 2 and verse 2, though the priests were blessing, God had turned their blessings into curses. You want to cheat God on your giving? We don't need your giving. Let me get, let me get something straight right now, okay? We don't need your giving. Because there's nobody in here making enough that we need what you make for you to give us 10% or 20%. We don't need it. And I have never preached for any of you to give because we need your money. We give because God tells us to give. We give because God gave His Son for us. 
We give because we don't want this curse in our lives. We give because we want God to open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing that we can't receive. We don't need your giving. But if any of you, even 1%, even one tiny percent, hearing those words, is thinking within your evil heart, this is how Moses always preached to Israel, is thinking within your evil heart that you will hold back your giving, God will doubly curse you for taking the word of God and abusing it and perverting it. We should want to give because it's part of being zealous for the house of the Lord. It's like David who wanted to give everything he could to build that building. Don't you cheat the Lord because you'll end up with a curse. I'm just showing you examples from one little book of the Bible that has one in every chapter. Look at chapter 4 where it tells us about John the Baptist coming in verse 5 called Elijah the prophet. Verse 6, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. John the Baptist's ministry was not successful. It accomplished everything God wanted it to but it did not fulfill this prophecy to hold off a curse upon the nation of Israel and 70 AD destroyed that nation because the revival was not sufficient to turn away the curse of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. There's so many, many verses. I've taken the the 300, whittled them down to the 150 that are the most meaningful and direct, and put them together in a five-page outline, which we cannot cover in detail and we don't need to. What we want is to see the seriousness of God's curses, and they extend from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is a verse that was used by our youth for one of their retreats. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Blessing and cursing to his own church to the people of God. You know there's many verses I could turn you to in the book of Deuteronomy. You know when Moses got serious about preaching, which is the book of Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers are him explaining how things were to be done in the tabernacle and by whom, what time, where, when. Deuteronomy are his final words before he died, and he unloaded on those people. He just kept talking about blessing and cursing. A worship service in Israel was six tribes on one side of a valley and six tribes on the other, and priests would utter a curse and a blessing. And as the curse came forth, all the people of God would say, Amen. 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 Do you know what the woman had to say under the curse of jealousy in Numbers chapter 5? Amen. Be it so unto me. Oh, those were sober worship services. We don't want to stray far from them because when the Bible tells us that we want to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire, do you know what book of the Bible he's quoting from? Deuteronomy. God cursed others. Did God curse Egypt? He sure did curse Egypt and ruined them. God cursed the Edomites. Isaiah chapter 34. God cursed Judas Iscariot. Let his prayer become an abomination. You're cursed. First, you're cursed legally by Adam. 
You are in Adam. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam died three deaths. He died spiritually immediately that day according to the word of God. 930 years later, he died physically. And unless God saved him, and there's no evidence of it in the Bible, he'll be cast into the lake of fire formally and officially in a day that's coming soon to experience the second death of the lake of fire. Second, we're cursed in nature by spiritual death toward God. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. How do we get that spiritual death? By the curse of God upon the descendants of Adam and Eve. Third, you are cursed to die physically as punishment. It is appointed unto men once to die. Fourth, there is the second death or eternal death that's coming soon in the lake of fire. Now if that wasn't enough, if that's not enough curses, God gave His moral law to Moses. And the moral law that He put in writing to Moses... He put in the consciences of Gentiles, Romans chapter 2, so that we're both judged by it, and all the world becomes guilty before God, Jews and Gentiles, and under its curse. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, a verse that you read last evening. The law is to expose our sinfulness. The reason God gave the law was to be our schoolmaster, to beat the rudiments of education into us that were cursed. There's higher learning. But you've got to hold with me for just a couple more minutes. If Adam were not enough, the law further condemns you. You know what Romans 5, 12 through 19 is like. It's all about the death that is passed upon men because the sentence of one man. One man's sin, Adam, all men die because of that one sin. Even babies. Why do babies die? Because of original sin. They are held liable and accountable and legally punishable by Adam's sin. The Romans 5, 12 through 19 teaches that. Then it says in verse 20, Moreover, as if that condemnation wasn't enough, as if that curse was not enough. Moreover, the law entered. 2,500 years after Adam, along came Moses. Moreover, the law entered, and it's seven or 800 commandments, that the offense might abound, that we would have all these laws that we could not keep. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. Let's not finish that yet. Let's leave it right where we are by nature. For a moment. This curse applies equally to Jews because it was put in writing to them and Gentiles because it was put in their consciences. You are under the curse of that law for even one violation of it. Look at Galatians 3.10. 3.10, Galatians. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. If you align yourself with the religion of God of the Old Testament for 1,500 years, if you were a Jew or a Gentile proselyte, if you were a stranger that came and joined yourself to Israelite worship, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, because there's a curse in Moses' law. The book of Deuteronomy sets forth the blessing and the curse, but no man can keep it perfectly to get the blessing. For it is written, for it is written, What book of the Bible do you think it's written in when it's talking about a curse in the law? 
the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27 this time. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Cursed. We're cursed in Adam. We're cursed in nature. We're cursed by the law. We're cursed by conscience. We're ruined. All the severe and vengeful curses you can read from Moses are justly yours. Do you know what communion's for? Jesus became a curse for us. And God cursed him instead of you and me. Unbelievable. Incredible. And he knew it going into it. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. We want two more verses in Galatians 3, although there are many good ones. And you read them last evening. Do you want to know who the seed of Abraham is that counts? It's you and me because we're in Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, verse 16. And because we're the seed of Abraham, the promises made to Abraham are our promises, as verse 29 tells us. How do we identify ourselves as Christ? By faith in verse 26, by baptism in verse 27. But we want verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing, notice we've got a C word cursed in verse 13 three times. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. It's all of Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, God dwelling with us forever. Not in a holy of holies, but inside us. We're the holy of holies. Personally, individually, physically speaking, he's inside us and he's inside our congregation. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith because it's faith, repentance, and baptism by which we get that personal ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus took our curse. He became a curse for us to buy us out from underneath it. Christ, look at that 13th verse carefully. Christ means the Messiah of Israel and Gentiles, Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior. Christ hath redeemed. Redemption means to buy back, to get from the claims of another In this case, the claims are Jehovah's claims against us. God's claims against us. Redemption is to buy back and to get us out from underneath that curse. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Without Jesus, there is no hope. He will zealously condemn God's cursed. As I read to you, verse 41, Matthew 25 Jews and Gentiles are cursed by Moses' moral law without hope, as verse 10 in this chapter told us. Fully under Adam's curse, the law added additional curse. The law was never intended to save. Look at verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. There wasn't a law given that could give life because there was no man capable of keeping the law to get life. We're told that verse 23, 
But before faith came, that's the object of faith, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that's New Testament gospel religion. Before it came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And that is how we lay hold of our deliverance from the curse, is to believe everything the gospel tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. God made Jesus the last Adam, the second Adam, to give us gifts to end Adam's curse upon us. Jesus perfectly kept the righteousness of Moses' law far beyond its words. He kept all the spiritual divine intent within those words. God applied the curse for our sins to him who had no sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's undoing the curse and giving us a blessing. Because Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. There was nothing cursed about him. He was gloriously perfect and holy, and he's our Savior. Now I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 21 for the last words of Galatians 3.13. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Let's go back to that book of curses. Deuteronomy 21. And remind ourselves about how Jesus died and what God accomplished as a special little addition, as a little asterisk sort of, sort of, just to get our attention because it's not mentioned frequently. But if you knew the Bible and you're going to know it now, it tells us something. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Capital punishment was the most severe judgment for violating Moses' law. But you could have a special form of capital punishment. Stoning didn't involve a tree. Stoning didn't involve the shame of hanging up in public, which they had to take him down and bury him and get him out of sight. Jesus died for our sins, and Jesus died hanging on a tree for our sins. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you want a verse to memorize this week? How about verse 13 if you've got a small memory? How about 13 and 14 if you have a larger one? Just that you can say these words to yourself at night when you're in bed. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. God cursed the Lord Jesus Christ in our stead, by becoming a curse for us, the object of wrath of a declaration of God. I will punish my son instead of them. And he knew it his whole life. And he knew it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Consider a few more thoughts. 
Romans 8.3 puts it this way. You want to stay at Galatians 3 maybe, but Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin. You know, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God condemned sin by destroying it in the person of Jesus Christ. He condemned sin. There's a play on words in the Bible. Like leading captivity captive. Like cursing a curse. Destroying a curse. God cursed the curse of childbirth by bringing Jesus out of a woman's womb. 1 Timothy 2.15 Childbirth was cursed. It's difficult. It's painful. It's bloody. It's It's hard. But God cursed the curse of childbirth by bringing Jesus through it. That's how he brought him into this world. God cursed the curse of death by bringing life to you by death. We're about to sing it. You know, you've heard some of these things before. We're going to sing a song written by your brother. What endless wisdom. That curse is terrible. It's hanging over the whole universe. The highest created beings in the universe, right up to Lucifer, are under its curse. Right down to the smallest little things that exist in this universe that are irrational, rational, or inanimate. They're under the curse. God cursed the curse of death by bringing life to you by the death of his son. God cursed the curse of hanging on a tree by making a wood cross for him. God cursed the curse of sweat by Jesus sweating like great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. God cursed the curse of thorns by Jesus wearing a cruel crown of thorns. God cursed the curse of forsaking you by forsaking Jesus instead. Thank you, David Taylor. God had cursed us to a bruising, eternal death, but Jesus took the bruising for us. God cursed Jesus to a bruising. Do you want to hear the words? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God had cursed us to torment with the devil and his angels, but Jesus our Lord was tormented instead. The speeding bullet of God's perfect wrath was stopped by Jesus for you. Jesus took away the curse. He also made you righteous. Our justification should always be viewed with both sides. He took away all our sins so that the pitiful little description that most use is true halfway, just as if we'd never sinned. But then he gave us Jesus Christ's righteousness So the better half of justification is as if we had lived Jesus' perfect life. That's justification. All our sins put away, all his righteousness on us. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Three C's in verse 13. Three curses. That the blessing of Abraham, the friend of God, might come upon us Gentiles through Christ. Through Jesus Christ. He ended the curse. We get to see it around us. The earth is soon going to melt with fervent heat as the curse of God falls upon it 
in wrath and power that we have never seen, can't read about, can't imagine, can't fathom as everything, as I taught you from Second Peter chapter 3, will dissolve away. Then there'll be a new universe. Do you know what it says about that new universe that's being made for us, the children of God? In Revelation 22 and verse 3, no more curse. Lord, could you say that to us one more time? No more curse. A new heaven and a new earth and no more curse. And we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And we shall be glorified with no curse left upon us. We have an inheritance that's waiting for us to be revealed, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. You don't know anything like that. Everything corrupts, everything is defiled, and everything fades. Everything you know has faults, decay, rust, and death, and it's all going to melt away and be replaced by things that are as eternal as God in a forward direction because they're going to last forever. And we shall be, as the Bible tells us, forever with the Lord. He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth is not cursed. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the Son of God. Now we've heard earlier today how we should believe on the Son of God. Belief, our faith, is the foundational step the first step, the first act, along with repentance, then baptism, then obedience, then good works to make our calling and election sure. If our calling and election are sure, we shall never fall. But what kind of an entrance will we get into Jesus Christ's everlasting kingdom? An abundant entrance. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that is not He that does not believe shall be damned. He that believeth not. Mark 16, 16. Jesus is coming to raise all dead from the ground. The wicked will be raised to the resurrection of damnation. The righteous to the resurrection of life. John 5, 28 and 29. No more curse. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The Lord arranged everything in beauty to hang on that tree and take not just capital punishment, but capital punishment with a twist, capital punishment with another ugly feature. He hung him between heaven and earth, naked, under the curse of God, so that his enemies reproached him and said, You trusted in God? Where is he? God rescued him and destroyed them. And he's our Savior. And we get to take up a cup in just a moment. The cup of the blood of the everlasting covenant that destroyed the curse against us. This is the gospel. How do I know that the curse has been taken away from me? How do I know that Christ has redeemed me from the curse? Everything that I've said so far today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look at the moment of believing. There isn't a moment of believing anywhere in the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all thine heart 
get baptized, and then keep all of his commandments and show your zeal for the house of God, which is his temple, where he is worshipped. He who loved us and gave himself for us is worshipped in a pitiful, simple little setting like this, where we come together in Holy Spirit zeal to love him who loved us. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.